So this week, as Wynn said, we're, we're beginning to move into this series talking about uh, generosity and uh, talking about God's enough, and that is both uh, God has provided enough, but also God is enough, and that's, you know, the double meaning there is intentional. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about cultivating right dream. Part of this is going to be talking about cultivating generosity, and I, I, I'm aware that there's a danger with that title because I know when we come to stewardship, we talk about cultivating generosity. Some of you are thinking, yeah, here comes the fertilizer. Uh, but so I'm just, 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 you know, just hang with me and, and you know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll be all right. Um, you know, one of the things I learned about myself when I was young was that um, it's really easy for me to uh, overcommit to various things. You know, lots of things. I, I'm interested in lots of things and they catch my eye and, and I want to do this and I want to do that. And and, and it's very easy for me to get to that place where, you know, it's like the, the, the act, you know, where you have all the poles with the plates spinning on the top of it. And I feel like I'm just kind of, you know, trying to keep all the plates from dropping. Um, and, and generally when I get to that place, um, I, I begin to feel uh, overwhelmed uh, in my mind and in my spirit, my heart. And uh, uh, oftentimes I'm, 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 I'm a little bit crazy at that point. It's, not, it's really not a pretty thing to see. Uh, and so uh, I learned early on that I, I sometimes need to kind of use some self-quieting things to, to get myself under control. And uh, uh, sometimes that means uh, things like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving for a while. I'm going to go take a walk. I'm out of here. I'm going to go do this. But uh, when I got into the seminary, I became acquainted with a gentleman by the name of Richard Foster. And some of you know him through uh, Renovare. Uh, he's written a number of books. Celebration of Discipline is probably the most well-known one. But he also has one called the freedom of simplicity, uh, and, and it really appealed to me. Uh, uh, there was something about that, that sense of, of simplifying and streamlining uh, and coming together that really appealed to me. S- simplicity being not just doing without, but, but this sense of a, a one or as one or unified. You know, in, instead of your life being so fragmented and, and chaotic, you know, having the sense of your life as a whole and as a unified whole that, that stays together in one piece. Uh, And so as we kind of move through this, uh, I'm going to invite you, uh, not only today, but as we move through all of it, to be thinking about, you know, what what is it that holds your life together? What is it that unifies it? Uh, What is it that defines it? Uh, Let's be in prayer. Almighty God, I thank you for your presence with us. Uh, We ask that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, one of the things that um, I'm aware of in our culture is that, that we are constantly bombarded uh, with messages about what we need to do or to have or to, to be involved in it. You know, here we live in this culture of abundance where we have you know, all kinds of different places to eat. Uh, we have all kinds of uh, different entertainment options. You know, we have all kinds of this, that, and the other. And, and it's very easy for us to kind of slide into, you know, going after everything. And, and you know, sometimes it's, it's really, it can kind of sneak up on you, kind of subtle. Um, I, I was traveling earlier this year, and, uh, and when I travel, a lot of times I use my phone to, to, you know, to do my flight, my boarding passes and stuff on. And so I was flying somewhere, and I was on Southwest Airlines, and, and the thing wasn't working right, you know, my phone. And then this message pops up, and it says, well, you need to you update your app. That's what you need to do. And okay, so I, I tried to do that and it, it didn't take. And I tried it again and it didn't take. I tried it again and it didn't take. So I, I finally I called the Southwest people and I said, you know, I'm trying to update this app and it's not working. And they said, well, did you do this, 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 this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did all that kind of stuff and everything. And they said, oh, well, well, what kind of phone do you have? And I said, well, I told them what it was. And they go, oh. <laughs> what? 
Oh, it's, it's not going to update on that. That phone's too old. It's not going to update on that. I'm going, what? You mean, that, wait, this is Southwest, right? The bargain airline, right? Shouldn't they have an app that runs on an old phone or a cheap phone? I mean, right? I mean, it makes sense to me, but, but no, no, no. You know, you need a newer phone, you know? And, and I started thinking about it. You know, this is, I've been here 17 years, folks, and this is only the second smartphone I've had since I've been here. Okay, so think about it, those of you that buy a new phone every other year or so. You know, the, you know my, I, I buy one like every seven or eight years or something like that. And this is the second one like this. I bought the first one because um, it had good battery life and it worked anywhere in the world where I went. And so that's why I bought it. And, uh, and it lasted a long time. And then one day the, the screen just kind of started getting funky and stopped working right. And I realized, oh, probably it's time, you know. So I, I went to the store and I said, I want another one just like this. And, 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 and the guy that's waiting on me, who looks like he ought to be in high school, you know, because I'm old enough, they all look that way. But anyway, he, he's looking at my phone and he's going, oh, oh. I'm going, what? Because, oh, that's just, I've never, this is really old. I don't think I've ever seen a phone this old before. <laughs> hey, hey. Show some respect. You know, that phone's been around the world, man. It's got more miles on it than you do, you know. And uh, I don't know if we can, I don't know. And, you know, so anyway, so we, we got another one. And, and what I realized at the beginning of the summer was, oh, this one's kind of getting to be that age, too. You know, I've had it about five or six years now. And it's kind of aging out of the, the and so, so here I am. I'm going to Nashville this week, and I'm sitting by my son on the airplane. And he's got his phone, which is, what, two years old, three years old, maybe? I don't know. It's, it's fairly new. And he's sitting there with that and doing that. And, and he looks over and he goes, God, Dad, how old is that phone? <laughs> Gee, come on, kid. I mean, give me a break. But I'm starting to look at his. His is all, you know, fancy, new looking and everything. Ashton got a new phone at the beginning of the summer. And I, it's all got the bright screens and everything. And, and I'm starting to think, well, maybe I do need to do it. And then I get to Nashville. And I'm at the new room conference. There's like 24, 2,500 people there. And their phones are all newer than mine. They've all got these nice big phones with bright screens and everything. And, and, and I'm starting to go, oh, yeah, oh, geez, those are, that, that's a really nice one. Oh, that's a really nice one. Oh, that's a really nice one. And, and then I start shopping online. And, you know, they're like $1,000. I mean, they're expensive and all. And, and, and as I'm doing that, and I'm, all of a sudden I'm realizing as I'm looking at all these phones, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I've developed cell phone envy. <laughs> it's just pathetic. I just, I just pathetic, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but that's how it does. You know, it sneaks up on us, right? It sneaks up on us, and we start looking around, and we're thinking, oh, well, I need this, or I need that. And uh, there's a phrase that's been coined in the last couple of years called affluenza, uh, the constant need for more and bigger and better stuff. And according to PBS, the way they define it is the bloated, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. Or an epidemic of stress, overwork, waste, and indebtedness caused by dogged pursuit of the American dream, an unsustainable addiction to economic growth. And, and, you know, I just, I think that defines so much of what our culture, what we do in our culture. And and if you think I'm wrong, let me just throw a few little pieces of information out and see if you uh, can come along with me on this. Uh, average home size, according to the National Home Builders Association, in 1973 was 1,660 square feet. In 2016, it was 2,700 square feet. Slate uh, talks about the storage industry. In 1960, there was none. 
It was non-existence. In 2016, there was 2.3 billion square feet of rental storage. I'm not, I want you to hear that. 2.3 billion, not million, billion square feet of rental space available. You know, I drive through our neighborhood, all the cars are parked on the driveway because their garages are all full of stuff and they're renting a storage unit in addition to that. And I, I, and I go to my neighbors one day and I said, what, 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 all, what, what all you got in here? Well, we got this, that, and the other. And I said, well, now, wait a minute. You've got like, you know, $60,000 worth of cars sitting on your driveway here. What do you think that stuff in your garage is worth? Oh, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks and all that. I'm going, well, why don't you put that stuff on your driveway and put the car in the garage? And they're going, oh, no, oh, no. I mean, you know, but 2.3 billion square feet. In the last 20 years, credit card balance has tripled, and the average minimum payment has cut in half, leading us to a huge uh, crisis for a lot of people of consumer debt, which has come to be called credititis. Um, that's actually a term you're going to be hearing in the next couple of years. 1973, the average car loan was 36 or 40 months in length. In 2017, the average loan was 72 or 84 months uh, in length. Yeah, you've got to have a really good car to last that long, I'm telling you. Home mortgages now can be extended up to 50 years and are allowed to consume up to one-third of your total household income. Uh, every time we have shopped houses, you know, we're told, well, you, can, you qualify for up to so much. I'm thinking, well... I may qualify for that, but I can't pay the payment on that. And, you know, oh, oh, yes, oh, yes, you can. Well, no, I'm, yeah, if I don't eat, I can afford that. But it's, it's this huge chunk of money, and a lot of people are, are locked into, for an extended period of time, a payment that they really can't afford. College students are now graduating with an average of $37,000 in debt. That's an average which means some of them are much more than that. And seminary students graduate with an average of $65,000 in debt, which is twice what most of them will get paid. CNN found that 80% of Americans name financial stress as their number one stressor. The Lake Institute on Philanthropy reports that only those with $24 million or more feel secure, which explains why I'm so insecure. <laughs> John McLaughlin was here at the 815 service, and he handled some of our retirement accounts. I said, John, you got to get busy, man, because I mean, I'm really feeling insecure up here this morning. I've got a long way to go before I'm going to feel good about this. Dave Ramsey says that people think they will be secure if they just make 20% more. And you need to hear that this is regardless of income. So whether you make $30,000 or $300,000 or $3 million, you think you'll be more secure if you just make 20% more. Affluenza. You know, if we just have more, if we just had more stuff, if we just had more money, if we just had more of this, if we just had more of that, life would be better. And, and I... I know we're aware of it to some extent in our culture, but you need to know that it, it isn't just us, that this is, this is part of the human condition. Uh, scripture addresses this from way back, right? Love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This also is vanity. And then Jesus reminding us, you know, what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? Now, this understanding about the way the love of money can take over. Now, I want to be really clear with you here. Uh, it's not saying that money is bad. 
money is neutral. Money is an exchange medium. Uh, in, in older economies, you know, we would barter. I would do this for you, and you would do that back for me. And then as we, we expanded our economies and we got greater distance, we, we invented money to be an exchange. So I would do this for you, and, and you would give me money to represent your trade back to me. And then I would use your trade back to me to barter with someone else for something I needed. And so money is a medium of exchange. It represents our uh, labor and our skill and our knowledge that we contribute to the world. And, and that's all it is. It, it's neutral. It's not good or bad. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes and we like to get in this thing where we think kind of romantically, you know, well, back when we were young and we didn't have any money, you know, life was really good and all that. And, and what you really need to hear is it's real easy to be romantic about not having money when you have money. But there's really nothing romantic about not having enough. You know, when, when you're in that position where you really don't know if you're going to eat tonight, there's nothing romantic about that. So it's not that money is good or evil, and it's not that, you know, having no money is a good thing. But what the scripture reminds us of, when money becomes the idol in your life, when your love of money, your, your possessions and your stuff, when all of those begin to take center stage in your life, then Christ begins to be pushed out. And all of a sudden what you find is, is that instead of you owning your possessions, your possessions own you. And we get into this kind of a vicious cycle where we begin to think that, you know, if, if I just get enough and if I just have enough, I'll secure my life. Except, you know, the more you get, you know, the, the, the more possible it is to lose that. And so you kind of get insecure about that. Well, you know, if I, if I just had a little more, I'd be secure. But then you get a little more and you think, oh, no, I, if I had a little more, I'd be more secure. And then you get a little more and you keep thinking, if I just get a little more. And pretty soon your possessions and your money begins to rule you. Adam talks about, Adam Hamilton talks about the, the three sins, uh, uh, deadly sins related to excessive consumerism as envy or covetousness. Yes, that's cell phone envy. Yes, that's right there. Yeah, uh-huh. Or maybe it's cars or maybe it's houses or maybe it's vacations, whatever it is you're envious about. Uh, he talks about greed or avarice, that, that need to, to accumulate, you know, if I can just get more. And, and he talks about gluttony. And, and you need to hear that, that gluttony is not just about food. Uh, I, know, I know that's not always obvious, but gluttony is not just about food. You, you can be gluttonous about a lot of different things. I, I, I can't go in REI. Just can't do it, you know? It's just terrible. If I need one thing and I go in REI, as soon as I walk in that store, I'm going, ooh, that's really cool. Oh, that's really nice. Oh, that's really great. I'm going to walk out with 10 things that I don't need, didn't intend to buy. So, you know, it, but, but that's the way it is. You know, so gluttony can be a lot of different things. It can be items you purchase. It can be clothing. It can be money. It can be whatever. But it's that thing where that drive, that drive to overconsume, begins to take over your life. And, and when we begin to do that, you know, th those things begin to take control of our lives. They begin to run us instead of us running them. Uh, and our lives begin to, to, to come out of our control. And Jesus warns us about this. I mean, in, in John's gospel, he says, you know, the, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You know, anything that claims ultimate loyalty on you, anything that claims loyalty on you, can become a damaging thing in your life. And when our possessions begin to take control of us, they begin to rob us 
of the meaning of life. Uh, there's a couple of guys that call themselves the minimalists, and they have a whole series of books and videos and things out. Uh, and uh, you know, there's a link on your, in your bulletin, and it's on the website too, but we're going to hear a little bit from them this morning. Five years ago, my entire life was different from what it is today. Radically different. I had everything I ever wanted. I had everything I was supposed to have. I had an impressive job title with a respectable corporation, a successful career managing hundreds of employees. I earned a six-figure income. I bought a fancy new car every couple years. I owned a huge three-bedroom condo. It even had two living rooms. I have no idea why a single guy needs two living rooms. I was living the American dream. Everyone around me said I was successful. But I was only ostensibly successful. You see, I also had a bunch of things that were hard to see from the outside. Even though I earned a lot of money, I had heaps of debt. But chasing the American dream, it cost me a lot more than money. My life was filled with stress and anxiety and discontent. I was miserable. I may have looked successful, but I certainly didn't feel successful. And it got to a point in my life where I didn't know what was important anymore. But one thing was clear. There was this gaping void in my life. So I tried to fill that void the same way many people do, with stuff. Lots of stuff. I was filling the void with consumer purchases. I bought new cars and electronics and closets full of expensive clothes. I bought furniture and expensive home decorations, and I always made sure to have all the latest gadgets. Oh, and when I didn't have enough cash in the bank, I paid for expensive meals, rounds of drinks, and frivolous vacations with credit cards. I was spending money faster than I earned it, attempting to buy my way to happiness. And I thought I'd get there one day eventually. I mean, happiness had to be somewhere just around the corner, right? But the stuff didn't fill the void. It widened it. My life lacked meaning, purpose, passion. If you would have asked me what I was passionate about, I would have looked at you like a deer in headlights. What am I passionate about? I had no idea. I was living paycheck to paycheck, living for a paycheck living for stuff, living for a career that I didn't love, but I wasn't really living at all. Yeah. When our, when our possessions and our stuff begins to take over us, they, they begin to steal and kill and destroy our lives. You know, in my lifetime, I have uh, uh, had acquaintance with and known well two families which were both... Uh, what I would consider to be extreme, what most of us would consider to be extremely wealthy. And the interesting thing is they are some of the most unhappy people I've ever been around because they were constantly worried that all this stuff they had accumulated would somehow get lost or taken away from them. And they had no significant relationships because they were always afraid that everyone that wanted to be their friend was only after their money. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. The rest of that quote that Jesus gives us is, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I mean, that, that's not God's intent for us to live in that place. 
God intends to, for us to live in a fullness of life and an abundance of life. And, and when our possessions rule us, they rob that from us. So over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to be talking through, you're going to be getting a lot more detail on some of this, but we're going to be talking through some things like, uh, uh, you know, simplify our lives, silence the voices constantly telling us we need more, live counterculturally by living below, not above our means, uh, build into our budgets the money to buy with cash instead of credit, uh, build into our budgets what we need to live generously and faithfully. And in your uh, bulletin this morning, there's a kind of a budget worksheet that's printed on this one little uh, one sheet flyer that's in there uh, that just kind of gives you some suggestions for ranges, appropriate ranges for your budgeting. And uh, if you have Quicken, it'll tell you exactly what you're doing on those numbers, but, but most of you can figure that out. And I just would invite you to, to take time and be intentional and serious about looking at that. Now, I want to say one final thing. Um, I know we talk about this stuff sometimes and you get the impression that, you know, oh, well, you know, we, all, we think it's easy and, and, and all, and it's not. Uh, this is not easy to do. Uh, I appreciated Aaron King at the Ad Board dinner the other night getting up and talking about the, the struggle of talking about stewardship at the beginning of the school year when you've just gotten hit, in, you know, with all those bills. And, and, uh, and, and I started thinking about, you know, it, it really is, I mean, it really is more of a struggle. When Cindy and I first started off together, we didn't have much. We didn't expect to have much. Uh, and, and so, you know, we got through seminary, and, you know, sometimes now we look back on that with kind of warm feelings and all. But, you know, the truth of the matter is uh, feeding two people for a month on $150 uh, can be challenging. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we had a couple of years there when things were really tight for us. And uh, as romantic as it may seem looking back on it, at the time, all we could think about was, you know, when we get out of here and we're both working full time, it'll be really nice to have more money. And, and, and then I got out of school, and we both started working, and you know, we, uh, we had to pay for housing, we had to pay for utilities, we needed to replace vehicles that were old, and, and have clothes that were suitable for working, and our, our, our expenses pretty much rose to match our income. And we thought, well, you know, in time it'll get better, and, and so then, you know, life moved on, and, and, we, and we had children. And children are expensive. Y'all know that? They cost money. I mean, they, and so, you know, all, we, we, our income went up, but our expenses pretty much, again, rose to meet that. And especially when Cindy decided that she was going to stay home for a while and, and be at home with the kids and our income actually dropped, uh, it was really tough. And then she went back to work full time and the kids got a little older and we're thinking, oh, okay, it's going to get better now. And then they got like into middle school and high school, Right. And, you know, the beginning of the school year comes along, and in addition to school supplies and clothes, then you got, you know, band fees and choir fees and fees for this and trips with the church youth group and all those kinds of things. And I don't know about y'all, but in September, a lot of times every year, we would, our, our, our cash flow would go negative. We would spend more than we would make in September, and then we'd have to catch up on that in October. So then you start thinking about, well, you know, sooner, soon they're going to graduate from high school and I won't be having to pay all those fees. And then they go to college. <laughs> and you go up there and, and you're sitting down with the people at the college and they say, well, you know, this is at a private school, you know, and, and tuition for the first year will be $45,000. Now, you're, you're welcome to suck a little air there for a minute because I sure did. Uh, and, and, and you struggle and you think, oh. 
It'd be so nice when they're out of that. And then, you know, they, they get through college and they get on and they, they start to launch out into life and you're helping them with a little bit here and a little bit there and thinking, oh, it'll be nice when, it, when, when we get through this and we have, you know, extra money to spend. And then your church does a building project. <laughs> and you got a couple thousand bucks a month going out into that. And oh, it'll be so nice when we get finished with that and, and, and all. And, and then you get done with that. Uh, and, 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 and then, you know, the, the people at the orphanage down in El Salvador come back and say, our water system's down and we, we need $5,500 to have water. Or we need, you know, $5,000 for this piece of equipment for the clinic. And, and, and you begin to understand that left alone, expenses will always rise to median income. Because the world always wants more from you, and your possessions always demand more. And at some point, you have to make decisions. And so as we begin to do that and, and become very intentional about our spending, especially about 10, 10 or 15 years ago when we got really intentional about what we were doing, uh, you know, there were decisions we made not to do certain things. And, and I remember one time having a conversation with my daughter who was upset about some things that, I, that we weren't spending things on. And I said, well, well come with me. And, and I sat down with her in front of the computer and, and pulled up Quicken and showed her, this is what we spend our money on. And she went, oh, because then she understood the decisions we were making and, and even was willing to embrace the decisions we were making. Because there was a, a change that happened when we went from the place where we felt like it was out of control, where all those expenses were out of control. We just, you know, there were just things that we had to do and, and, and we didn't control that and we couldn't be in charge of that to where we got to where we started making decisions about how we were going to use our funds. And it feels very different to feel like I have to spend this because I have to spend this because everybody's telling me I have to spend this than to be able to say, I am choosing to do this. <laughs> I get to do this. You know, I, when, when you're having to, to lay out money uh, just because you feel like you have to do it, there's no joy in that. But when, when, when you get to, when you get to fix the water system for a group of children, because God's given you that opportunity to do that, man, that's a joyful thing. That's a joyful thing. And that's the difference. And we can choose to allow our possessions and our stuff and our culture to tell us what's going to happen with our money and to make those choices for us and to feel like we're always in bondage to what we owe. Or, or we can choose to live into the freedom that Christ gives us and feel like we're actually abundant in our living. So in the next several weeks, I'm, I'm going to just ask you to be intentional about that and to think about what really what are we doing what are we doing with our lives and, and have we chosen to allow ourselves to be in bondage to our possessions and our things or, or are we living into the freedom that christ gives us which allows us to live with joy and live with abundance let's pray mighty father here we are in the midst of of all that you pour out upon us in this place of abundance that we live. And we confess to you that too often we allow our possessions and our money <clears throat> and our stuff uh, to become the main thing in our lives, to, to take over our lives and to control our lives 
And, and we find ourselves in bondage to that. And so we ask you to, uh, to come alongside us in this time and to lean into our lives and, and to give us your wisdom and your discernment and your courage. Uh, help us to, to honestly look at how we are living and what we're doing. Uh, not to, uh, to be afraid of that, but to honestly look at that and own that. And help us to have the courage to, to make those decisions we need to make. To allow ourselves to live from a place of abundance instead of a place of scarcity. Let the strength of your spirit come alongside us to free us from the bondage of our stuff. So that we might live in the freedom that Christ has given us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.